Hello and welcome to my show. My name is Alan Manson and I am here to speak about spirit walking with Jesus and what the Bible says about this and related topics. Today we will look at the term what walking in the spirit means. Before we commence, this podcast contains many scripture verses that appear in the King James Bible. When I read them out, I occasionally add in words of my own that clarify what the scriptures refer to from the studies I have undertaken. I therefore expect that those listening will look up the scripture references provided to determine if what I say is true or not. So to begin, when I first commenced reading and studying the Bible over 30 years ago, I quickly discovered that the Bible is not an easy book to read but I was determined to get grips with it. It was only after I had a born-again experience some 12 months later where veils appeared to lift from my eyes that I was able to understand Scripture now with my spiritual eyes opened. Some years later, I came to realise the Bible is a spiritual book and its message is directed toward the inner or the spiritual man contained within each of us, as the scripture verse reveals. From Ephesians 3 verse 16 it says, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Therefore to be equipped to understand the messages in the Bible that God requires every Christian to understand, he or she must be born again for this to happen, just as Jesus said. And from John 3, verses 3 and 5, Jesus, and said unto him, meaning Nicodemus, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water, meaning the water of the word, mentioned in Ephesians 5, verse 26, and of the spirit, He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. These words of Jesus are emphatic with the two verily verilies that emphasise Christ's point that unless there is a new birth experienced by the Christian early on in their new life in Christ, such Christians cannot see nor can they enter into the kingdom of God after they die. Similarly, the Bible is stating that every person born on the earth has both an inner and an outer man. Our outer man is physical, and his or her body is destined to rest in the grave, whereas our inner man is spiritual and is destined to spend eternity in one location or the other in a resurrected, immortal, physical body that can never die. I have discovered to my sadness that if Christians attempt to understand the Bible with their intellectual minds only, they cannot comprehend the many truths that our Creator wants to reveal to people. This is because the Bible says, But the natural, meaning the intellectually minded man, who is not spiritual but is instead religious, receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. That's from 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14. I believe this is the reason why there are so many different church denominations within Christianity today 
that have opposing beliefs because each of the founding members of these churches has interpreted the Bible with their intellectual mind rather than their spiritual truths that God wants them to know. In other words, if each of these men or women had truly had a born-again experience, they would all be believing and speaking exactly the same things the Holy Spirit had written in the Bible, as stated by the Apostle Paul to those in the Corinthian church. So from 1 Corinthians 1 verse 10, Paul says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, and that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Therefore, with the foregoing principles in mind, this podcast episode is my attempt to share with the Christian community what my Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ has revealed to me over the years about walking in the Spirit. In other episodes, I will also share with you what I understand some of the mysteries are that are written in the Bible. The biggest revelation I received during my studies is that all Christians are required to walk in the Spirit because the Bible says that those who are not walking in the Spirit are therefore walking in the flesh. In this, the Bible says from Romans 8 verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. If we read this another way, it says that there will be condemnation from God to those who are walking in the flesh whereas there will be no condemnation to those who are walking in the Spirit. This means that all non-spiritual or religious-based Christians have no salvation. Further to this, the following verses in Romans 8 verses 6 and 7 confirm what Romans 8 verse 1 says. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal, meaning the intellectually based mind, is enmity, meaning it is an enemy against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. Therefore, as walking in the Spirit is an essential requirement for salvation to be obtained, I hope this podcast is successful at revealing more about how God expects Christians to fulfill this requirement in their lives. So, as an introduction, firstly, the Bible says that there is a spirit world around us that is comprised of various entities such as the Trinity, meaning God the Father, Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. And in 1 John 5 verse 7, it says, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one, meaning that they're one in unity. Uh, the second person there is Satan, and he's a former archangel named Lucifer. And in Job 1 verse 7, uh, The Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. So Satan is a real person. Then there are archangels such as Gabriel and Michael. And in Luke 1 verse 19, uh, it says, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God. 
And in Jude 1 verse 9, yet Michael the archangel it commences. Uh, there are also ordinary angels, both holy and evil. So in Matthew 25 verse 31, it mentions all the holy angels came with Jesus. And in Psalm 78 verse 49, it says, sending evil angels among them. And then there are evil or demonic spirits. And in Luke 8 verse 2, it says, uh, and certain women which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. And uh, there are other spirit animals and insects such as horses and locusts also mentioned in the Bible. So in these things, the Bible says this, and I'm quoting from 2 Corinthians 4 verse 18. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, meaning they only last a time time period. But the things which are not seen are eternal. And again, from Colossians now, 1 verse 16, And by him, meaning Jesus Christ, were all things created, that are in heaven and that are in the earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him, meaning Jesus, the creator, and for him. The point here is that there are many thrones, dominions, principalities and powers that are associated with the Trinity. Both God and Satan and their respective groups of angels influence our daily lives. These operate according to spiritual laws that I loosely call them as blessings and curses. So for Christians to biblically walk in the Spirit, this enables us to have both God and Jesus walking with us while we journey along our spiritual pathway that the Bible terms the narrow way, as stated by Jesus in Matthew 7.14. If we successfully arrive at our intended destination at the end of our physical life here on earth to where the straight gate that provides entry into heaven is located, this will see us achieve eternal life with our Creator. Now, first of all, I'd just like to explore our humans' spiritual beings. Now, the Bible tells us that all humans have a spirit and soul encased within a, spirit, a physical body of flesh, blood and bones. The Bible says our combined spirit and soul represents our inner man. And quoting from 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 23, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So every person's spirit and soul are retained inside their body while their body retains life here on earth. Once the body can no longer sustain life, meaning it dies, the spirit and soul are then released back into the spirit world where they either enter hell as unrepentant sinners to await their day of judgment or they are taken by their angels, termed ministering spirits in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14, to heaven to be united with their Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. And now I'm quoting from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 6 to 10. 
Therefore, we are always confident knowing that whilst we are at home on earth in the physical body, we are absent from the presence of the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight, while living here on the earth. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body, meaning physically dead, and to be present with the Lord in heaven. Wherefore we labour that whether present or absent from the Lord, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, either at the first or the second resurrection, that every one, being deemed holy or unholy, may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done during his or her lifetime on the earth, whether it be good or bad. So having studied near-death experiences many years ago, it has become my understanding of these events in recent years that for those who saw the light, felt the warmth and the love of God during that experience, this was God revealing to them that it is not his will that any should die in their sins, but that all, especially them, should come to him through repenting of their sins and of seeking salvation in Jesus Christ. Now I quote here from 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise of eternal life, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to to us would, not willing that any should perish throughout eternity in hell, but that all should come to repentance. I say this because the Bible is clear that if a person passes from this world into the next world as an unrepentant sinner, they will immediately find themselves in a place called hell that was mentioned by Jesus 15 times as recorded in the three of the four Gospels. If Jesus felt it necessary to mention hell so often compared to, say, heaven as an eternal destination, I believe every person living on earth should pay close attention to what he is warning us about. And so I just want to talk about the prerequisites for walking in the Spirit. Many of us would like to end our lives here on earth and to begin spending eternity with Jesus in heaven. This is because many people today are finding the cares of this life too difficult to manage on a daily basis. I understand this attitude among many people today, and so does Jesus. However, when people come to the realisation that the God that they have been placing their faith in is no God, for example, chasing job success, chasing financial security, or even uh, false religions and their beliefs, and that they need to come to the one and only true God in their life, that is when their spiritual journey towards spending eternity with Jesus Christ as their Saviour commences. Now let me clarify something about salvation before we continue. If a man lying on a hospital trolley waiting for surgery becomes scared of dying and cries out to his nurse for help, If that nurse is a Christian believer and she shares the gospel of Jesus Christ with him before he goes into surgery and he accepts Christ as his saviour and then dies, that man's spirit and soul are immediately in heaven. I base this claim upon the account of Christ and the penitent thief on the cross mentioned in Luke 
chapter 23, verses 39 to 43. In other words, Jesus is able to save, quote, by faith alone and by grace alone, as stated in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, to anyone in that type of dire situation. However, for those who live days, weeks, months and years beyond their first day of pledging to follow Jesus as their Lord and Saviour, both Christ and God require them to go through the following spiritual processes to become spiritually mature in exactly the same way as a fruit-producing plant commences life as a seed sown and finally produces fruit as stated by Jesus in this parable. So the last verse of the parable is in Matthew 13, verse 23, and it says, But he, meaning the Christian, that received seed into the good ground, is he that heareth the word, and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit, and bringeth forth much fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold. So the good ground mentioned in the parable refers to the type of spiritual soil located within each person's heart, or the Christian's heart. So if the individual has the following spiritual ingredients within the soil of their hearts, this indicates they are a child of the living God and have a good chance of inheriting eternal life with their Creator. So in this, Christians must have a love of the truth that they might be saved. That's from 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 10. Christians must accept that the Bible holds the source of all truth. And in this, in John 17 verse 17, Jesus says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And Christians must love both God and their neighbour as much as, if not more than, they love themselves and their family members. So in Luke chapter 22, verses 37 to 40, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and the great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself. And on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And another point is that Christians must love God's people, meaning other Christians, unconditionally. Then in 1 Peter 1.22 it says, Seeing ye have purified your souls unto obeying the truth through the Spirit, unto unfeigned love of the brethren, Now, this means offering sincere or genuine love towards other Christians. Then it says, See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. And the word fervently means with passionate intensity. Notice here that the only way anyone can purify their soul is to obey the truth through the Spirit by expressing unfeigned love of the brethren towards them. So this means expressing one's love and care to all all Christians is mandatory behaviour as a born-again Christian. There are more aspects to having all the necessary ingredients in the soil of a true Christian's heart, but as the scripture verses clearly state, uh, these ingredients of truth and of purifying of the soul 
are the two most essential ingredients apart from loving and obeying God and his word. Christians should pay attention to this requirement. Rather than explore this further, we will move on towards what it means to walk in the Spirit. So to walk in the Spirit, this means to prove, well, what I'm going to do is to prove an illustration of what it means to walk so that we can all appreciate that our physical body can adopt various physical appearances throughout each day that reflect what state it is in. So in this, our bodies can be seen, in, in a, say, in a deep sleep, uh, in a slumbering uh, situation, in and out of sleep. It could be seen awake while lying down, uh, seen sitting upright on a chair, could be seen standing upright, could be seen walking and maybe running. The point here is that spiritually speaking, God sees each Christian's inner man or their spirit and soul behaving in one of these various positions while on their spiritual journey to eternal life or eternal death. In other words, if a false preacher in a church pulpit deceives the congregation by saying that salvation is by grace and through faith alone and not of works, as stated in Ephesians 2.9, and ignores other scriptures that contradict that, and the con- congregation believe this claim without reading their Bible to determine whether Christians are required to do the same works that Christ did on earth, then accepting such a lie will see such Christians losing their salvation. In other words, people in that congregation who accepted the lie could be classed spiritually as being in a deep sleep and not walking as they should, because they failed to appreciate the following words of Jesus regarding the works needed for salvation. So in John 14.12, Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go to my Father. And of course the works were healing the sick, and the blind to see, and the deaf to hear, and the mute to speak, all of those things are the works that Jesus was referring to. And in Mark 16, verses 16 to 18, Jesus said, And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall I cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay their hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Now, on the contrary, those who hear the same words preached by a false preacher, who then open their Bibles to determine what was preached is true or not as stated, These are behaving in the same manner as the Bereans did, which is recorded in the Bible. These people checked out all preachers using the scriptures to to determine if what they said was true or false. And quoting from Acts 17 verse 11, These, meaning the Christians in Berea, were more noble than those Christians in Thessalonica in that they received the word being preached to them with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily to determine whether those things that were preached were so. In the example used of works being being associated with salvation above, 
The Apostle James clearly states that, quote, faith without any accompanying works of faith is dead faith. And that was mentioned in James chapter 2, verse 26. Therefore, such a Christian demonstrating the above signs would be seen by God as walking uprightly in the Spirit. On the contrary, Christians who do not read, study and gain understanding of the spiritual things mentioned in their Bibles appear as being spiritually asleep. Such a situation is not good for their soul or for their salvation. In Hebrews 12 verses 1 to 2, it says that when we accept Christ as our Saviour, we then have to become prepared for the race that is set before each of us, as stated in the scripture verse that follows. So in Hebrews 12 verses 1 to 2, it says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of angelic witnesses, and I say that they're the ones we stated in 1 Peter 1 verse 12 where it says, which things the angels desire to look into. Continuing, it says, let us lay aside every spiritual weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Why the Bible refers to our salvation journey as a race is because In a race, there can only be one winner. This is what salvation is all about. Let me explain first using this passage of scripture from 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 to 27. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery in athletics is temperate or moderate in all things. Now they, meaning the unsaved athletes of this world, do it to obtain a corruptible crown, meaning a laurel wreath as used in the ancient Roman games. But we, an an, an incorruptible crown in heaven. I therefore so run not as uncertainly, meaning I know where the finish line is. So fight I, not as one that beateth the air, like in a barrage of useless efforts to impress God, but I keep under my body, meaning it remains undefiled by sin, and I bring it into subjection to my will that fights against my lusts, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be cast away from Christ. So that's the Apostle Paul saying how how the race is to be run. Therefore, instead of our salvation journey being represented as a race, being run as a 100-metre sprint on a sports track, it should be viewed as a long-distance cross-country race that takes the remainder of your lifetime on earth to complete. Prior to the journey or race commencing, Each participant needs to spiritually prepare for the challenges that lay ahead. In other words, where a normal cross-country race may require participants to, say, sleep out overnight, they may need to carry the necessary items such as a tent, sleeping bag and other essentials to allow that to happen. From the spiritual perspective, Christians in their salvation race need to read, study and prove 
what they believe so they can have some knowledge of the Bible before lining up at the start line. Naturally, there is an enemy named Satan who wants to prevent every Christian from finishing their race. This is because he is a thief and a robber, as implied in the verse that follows in John 10 verse 10. Jesus says here, The thief, meaning Satan, who is every Christian's worst enemy, cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. Then he says, I, meaning Jesus, am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. In other words, as God has allowed Satan to test Adam and Eve to see how obedient they would be when tested to do the opposite by disobeying God, God allows Satan to similarly test every Christian to determine if each will love God and obey his words or rebel instead. Those who fail their testing will join Adam and Eve in hell for succumbing to Satan's temptations to disobey God. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5, it says, And for this cause I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter, meaning Satan, have tempted you, and our labour, meaning to help you become an, over an overcomer of Satan's lies and deceptions, be in vain. So throughout each Christian's cross-country race, each participant can expect all forms of distractions, oppositions from local people, and even thieves who want to rob them of their most precious item, their salvation. There will be seen those like spiritual prostitutes along the way, who will attempt to turn Christians aside through lust or through coercion to prevent them from finishing their course. In the words of the Apostle Paul to Timothy, he said this in regards to the above distractions in um, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 to 8. For I am now ready to be offered up on, upon God's altar, and the time of my departure from earth to heaven is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day of my death, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Further to the above distractions, there are fiery trials that every Christian must face at times throughout their race. And from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 13, it says, Beloved, Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad with exceeding joy also. So such fiery trials serve the spiritual purpose of burning away all the dross in your life that inhibit you from becoming as perfect as God the Father in heaven is perfect. And Jesus gave this commandment to all that follow him in Matthew 5 verse 48. He said, Be ye there perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. As this requirement is a commandment from Jesus that every true Christian must obey, 
Satan is always observing the behaviour of Christians to determine who is determined to remain on the narrow way that leads to eternal life with Christ and who has drifted away to the broad way that leads to destruction. Satan's eyes are always on the righteous in his attempt to subvert their attempts to gain eternal life with Christ. And this warning is provided by Peter in 1 Peter 5 verses 7 to 9. It says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh around, sorry, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resists steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions from him to rob Christians of their salvation are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. So to summarise what it means to walk in the Spirit, point one, the Bible is a spiritual book to be read with one's spiritual eyes opened. Two, one can only achieve this by experiencing being born again. Number three, once awakened spiritually, Christians are required to study their Bibles to become approved unto God as stated by the Apostle Paul to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2 verse 15. Four, after a basic understanding of the Scriptures has been completed, this indicates a preparation for the race ahead has been undertaken. The Christian must then commence their spiritual journey or race with their Bible symbolised as their map and the presence of the Holy Spirit in their life symbolised as their personal tourist guide who will point out certain spiritual landmarks along the way. Point five, throughout the journey, Christians must be diligent at studying the scriptures and then listening to the author of the scripture, meaning God the Father, Jesus and the Holy Spirit, to learn more as to what is being conveyed as truth in what is written. Point six, during this journey, while attending to uh, various churches, Christians will encounter those of Satan's people who have infiltrated the congregations and in the pulpits. Point seven, God will often require some form of a response from his child to uh, the false doctrines being preached or to react appropriately to some unbiblical behaviour or practice in the church. And point eight, quite often this means that such Christians will experience rejection or isolation from other Christians or even family members for taking their stance on the scriptures. Such experiences represent their personal tribulation in this life that will bring great rewards to them in the next life. And from Acts chapter 14 verse 22, and it says, and that we must through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. And this is personal tribulation during your lifetime here on the earth. So I just want to thank you for listening to this podcast. My next episode will address what it means to be born again. If you have any questions regarding anything that's been stated in this podcast, please add a comment below or write to me at my website called mygospel.info If you like what has been said here please say so in the comment section of this podcast and please give it a thumbs up. May God bless you for listening today.